0: May all beings be happy, may all beings be healthy, may all beings be free from harm, may all beings love life, may all beings awaken. Welcome to another Cuke audio podcast. I'm DC, Puba of Cuke audio and Cuke archives, preserving the legacy of Shunju Suzuki and those whose paths cross his, and anything else that comes to mind. I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want, within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So today we have a guest, Laura Burgess. That's Laura Burgess, B-U-R-G-E-S with one S, unlike the way... It is frequently written erroneously. Laura, an old Zen student, friend, and uh, she has published a book. Uh, And uh, gee, I should have done this a little earlier, but I think uh, people are buying it anyway uh, because it's a good Christmas present. I bought two of them. I bought three of them. I bought. Uh, as I mentioned at, at, toward the end, uh, I bought one for a, a, a four year old granddaughter in Oregon and one for a four year old granddaughter in uh, California. And I bought one for my ex, uh, Elon, who teaches very young children. And the name of Uh, Her book is Buddhist Stories for Kids, and they're uh, very creative, enjoyable, not sappy stories based on the Jataka tales, the tales of Buddha's past lives, but uh, in a creative way. Uh, So at the end of this podcast, she's going to read one, And uh, it's, it's really good. So as soon as we've had our pause to meditate, let's give Laura a call. So when you hear the bell, if you're of such a mind, hit pause and meditate or whatever for as long as you like. And when you're through with the meditation or whatever, hit unpause. And we'll be here to hit the bell to end the meditation. And we'll give Laura Burgess with one minutes a call. David. Laura, how are you doing?
1: Uh, I'm good. Yeah. Wow, you're far far away.
0: I am. I am. Well, what are you up to? What's happening?
1: Well, um just waiting for your phone call. Um I've been really busy because because of these three books that are kind of coming out one after another. But it's fun and very exciting, you know.
0: Yeah? Uh, let me hear about them. Yeah three books yeah. no, normally people do one book and then like if they have a bunch of books a year later they do another or another <laughs> no. if, what, what what's this three this, books coming out one after another
1: well this this was kind of a gift of covid you know i i retired from teaching in uh 2020 and then covid happened you know and so i had a lot of time to write and think And over the past three years or so, and, um, what happened was there was a, you know, the supply chain thing, uh, there was a paper shortage. So this first book, Buddhist stories for kids, which is coming out on December 6th was supposed to come out in the spring, but, uh, it got backed up because of this paper shortage. And then I wrote another book at Shambhala's request, um, a book about Zen for kids, which at first I thought was a terrible idea because (laughs) we don't really indoctrinate children into Zen. But Mm. you know, David, I I started thinking about the way we do include kids at Zen Center. And and so I, I found some kind of world wisdom stories that I rewrote that have a Zen flavor and then included activities that I've done with kids during my 35 years of teaching children and and so it it I'm quite happy with what what came out of that.
0: Well so that the first book is it for Shambhala?
1: Yeah, these are all for Shambhala. Yeah.
0: You know. So what's the what's the name?
1: Okay, the first one Buddha Stories for Kids. I wanted to call it Monkeys at the Bodhi Tree, but um because of search engines <laughs> <laughs> they 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 suggested Buddha stories for kids because if you Google that, you know my book pops up. So, right? They know what they're doing over there at Shambhala. Were they? Were are they your publishers too?
0: Well, they've published uh, uh, two audio books and three books of mine.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think they're very helpful in terms of promoting things and. You know, helping me along the way since this is all very new to me. Mm-hmm. Um Buddha Stories for Kids, Jataka Tales of Kindness, Friendship, and Forgiveness is the whole title. Ah. And then uh the Zen for Kids book is uh Zen for Kids, fifty plus mindful activities to bring kindness into the world or to mm. to shine kindness in the world. Uh, so that's in the spring. And then my third book is called, um, it's a book about Zen and, and recovery. Mm. And um, I. they also retitled that one. Uh, I'm a little sheepish about the title. It's a little grandiose. But uh, The Zen Way of Recovery, An Illuminated Path
0: Out of the Darkness of Addiction. Did they make all that up? yeah <laughs> uh, yeah
1: I just wanted I wanted to call it finding our way uh, uh, but you know they know all about marketing and all that kind of thing, so yeah but yeah that all of these each of these books was a labor of love, and um especially well, all of them for different reasons the the Buddhism and recovery book, you know, I've been talking about and working with people around addiction since i since I was Shusso and started offering things at Zen Center, so that's a real love of mine.
0: You now your your uh, since you were Shusso, when was that?
1: Uh, two thousand.
0: Were you I a late Shusso?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And and, and where were you a Shusso?
1: At Green Gulch.
0: Yeah, Shusso head monk. Yeah, right.
1: And it rained every every damn day when I had to ring that bell.
0: Ha. <laughs> oh you oh the the wake up bell.
1: Yeah, the wake up bell, yeah.
0: Wow. And then
1: uh, Linda Linda my teacher, Linda Cuts, offered me lay entrustment in two thousand and nine. Uh-huh. Ah. So that's that's been another another phase of my practice.
0: Yeah. Did you help Daya with her lay entrustment?
1: You know, I, I offered to be part of that, but they had a a nice little group that they had things going, but I, I did get to have dinner with her and Kelly, as I mentioned to you. Yeah. Peter. Was Van all, it, it, That's why Yeah, I when it was all over. That was sweet of Peter to host that event. Yeah. You
0: know. I heard about it from, from all three of them. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is a new, uh, sort of a new era, this lay entrustment. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a it's a nice way to offer thing to offer to people that have been practicing a long time and and to give some kind of honor or recognition to that.
0: Yeah, well, like Suzuki Roshi said, he said, you know, we're uh, when the when they moved into the building back then, uh, sixty nine, I think he gave that talked them around then anyway. Uh, where he said, well, "We're neither monk nor lay."
1: Ah, uh-huh.
0: uh huh. And you know, I uh, yeah. Go on. Your
1: your, oh your your books about you know Suzuki. Roshi died a couple years before I showed up, and I feel like I know him through these wonderful books that you've um, published, Crooked Cucumber foremost, but these little stories about him, you know, really stay in my mind. Mm. encounters with students. Things that you we I know some of those stories are about your encounters with him. Um they're very they're very touching and evocative and they they're simple and short and they really last, you know, they pop into my mind at certain times in my own life.
0: You're talking about Zen is right here and Zen is right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, those yeah. those. Uh, yeah. but also, you know, reading Crooked Cucumber, I was on sabbatical in Oaxaca when I read that book, and I really didn't know about the incredible loss and suffering that he'd had in his life. Mm. Um, and it gave a whole new dimension to his his character that I, I do feel, I, I almost feel like I didn't know him through, through his teaching and, and certainly through his students who carried on after him.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't know about any of that either you know i had to dig it up (laughs)
1: is that right yeah yeah
0: yeah um there were a few people who knew i mean japanese people knew uh-huh uh uh, because it was always you know in the gossip i I think dick baker heard about it uh but um Japanese people knew because it was big gossip in the Zen circles in Japan. You know, his wife had been murdered and, you know, they said, Oh, he came to America out of shame because of his wife dying or, you know, that's typical. Or they'll say a priest came to America to escape scandal or in Japan or something. They, they, you know, uh, that, but with, with him, the, the, the gossip was, you know, to get away from the shame of his wife being murdered, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, that's a
1: very that's a very Japanese attitude, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Well, I don't At know the idea is,
1: of, a, of, a, of faith, of faith
0: and, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that could be. Uh, but you know, we tend to when we talk about each other, we tend to, you know, in general, people gossip and. Uh, certain, certain ideas or um, pictures of people or why they did this or that or who they are get passed around. Yeah. Uh, to, that's, <laughs> that's,
1: that's people for you,
0: huh? Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, now on the, on the recovery, did, did you get into, uh, dealing with recovery because of other people's problems? Uh, Usually when people are writing about or involved with recovery, they have their own story.
1: Well, I came to Zen Center partly because I was so um, demoralized by my overuse of alcohol. And And I stopped drinking when I came to Zen Center. And practiced as if to save my head from fire you know mm-hmm. uh, and and it 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 was a wonderful way of life I I plunged in and practiced and I went to tasahara very soon after I came to Zen center but after five years of not drinking it started to creep back into my life you know and I um I realized and I thought about some wonderful Buddhist teachers who had harmed or destroyed their communities because though they could sit for many hours at a time and 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 give beautiful dharma talks they couldn't uh control their addictions you know and so i i just came to feel that buddhism didn't cure my alcoholism and that i needed to to find a recovery program that would um address it in a very direct way you know yeah and that was a that was the beginning of a real opening of my practice because I was hiding part of myself. And I was holding I was holding at arm's length all the energy that you can use in your life when you confront your addiction and and turn around and help others, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a very it's a very vital and honest way of life that I discovered through recovery that I then, you know, brought into my Zen practice. So I see them as working together in my life, but because of that experience, I feel like recovery comes first. And then if I'm solid in my recovery, I can do other things with my life as well, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. including practice Buddhism. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's my path. And I've, I've wanted to write about it for a long time. And I, I found a way that I could do it, that I could reveal my own story and, and then just share Buddhist teachings that have supported me in my own recovery, the precepts of course and and uh, paramitas and looking at those things through the lens of recovery has been really helpful for me, and I think for other people too.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, I find uh, uh, I'm sort of uh, married into a 12 step. Uh <laughs> uh and uh yeah uh I'm I'm uh, I call myself a, a friend of friends of Bill uh <laughs> and you know I I've gone to a lot of meetings as a guest but uh, yeah I I I quit drinking uh 18 years ago uh
1: I didn't know that. I'm glad to hear that.
0: Yeah, no. I quit everything.
1: Ah, oh, uh-huh uh I was that was that after you moved to bali i don't know how long no i yet.
0: moved to bali nine years ago
1: okay yeah uh what's what's your life like there david
0: mm, it's fine <laughs> 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 it's uh it's affordable um mm-hmm. and i can concentrate on work here and i like the people now um uh And I can go swimming every day if I want in the ocean.
1: Oh, how wonderful.
0: (laughs) Um, You you said um, uh, you were talking about your practice uh, with the precepts and the parameters. Could you uh, go into that a little more?
1: Well, you know, for me, the precepts are a very simple and straightforward guide to living and it's very hard to live that way if you're not being honest with yourself about your own behaviors, you know,
0: yeah, well, let's think what are the precepts
1: well to not not to kill, not to take what is not given, not to lie, not to misuse sexuality, not to harbor ill will, not to slander others, not to not to um, degrade or disparage the three treasures, um, probably forgetting one or two. But Yeah, um,
0: yeah. I, I always get confused toward the end. Hang on, what, what is it there? <laughs> um,
1: well, a lot of them have to do with speech, I think. You uh-huh. know? Not to lie, not to praise self at the expense of others, not yeah. to slander. And um, I think of speech as... Speech is sort of what connects our inner world to the outer world. And so we would do well to pay attention to what we what we say, and is it in alignment with our with our deeply held vows, you know?
0: I agree with you. I think that's a really good point um, about you know speech. And, and then, then, yeah. the,
1: then then these Buddhist stories for kids. Uh, you know, I wanted, since I taught kids for, for 35 years, I wanted to offer something back to them, you know, when I stopped teaching and, and I wanted to write stories that they're not heavily Buddhist. They're really animal fables. You know, I I read about a hundred of these Jataka tales. And then I chose, I chose 10 that I thought really could speak to kids if I wrote them that way. Um, You know, those stories, David and most of them, the, ca- the characters are all male. Some of them are very punitive. So, you know, I just, I didn't want to give the message to kids that if you make a mistake, you're probably going to get poisoned or trampled by elephants, <laughs> uh, which, <laughs> which is what, well, sometimes that's the message in those stories.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd
1: rather tell kids it's okay to make mistakes if you learn from them. So I had so much fun writing those stories. And the very first one I wrote, which was... Um, about uh, the, the, king of the the king of the monkeys and the mango tree. I wrote that a very long time ago and it just tucked it away. And when Shambhala asked me to, to write a book for kids, they asked for a writing sample. So I rewrote that story. And, um, and then I thought, you know, it'd be really wonderful if there was a tree in every one of these stories as a kind of main character, uh, because I know that the Buddha spent so much time under trees, and you know, even as a child, meditated under an apple tree supposedly. And so, every every story has a tree, and then there's a a moral to the story, some message that I I find is embedded in that story to kind of highlight for the kids. So, and I I presented it to some children to read ahead of time, my little focus group, so. I got their feedback about it.
0: That was oh, really fun. Yeah. That's neat, neat idea. <laughs> um, how how did Shambala come to at? Did they ask you to write all three books, or uh, how did this well, come about? Normally, publishers don't go asking people to write books.
1: I know it. I know it. It was really. It's kind of a wonderful serendipity. Um, Ivan Burkholz who you probably know, who I've I've worked with a lot on these books, uh, called Zen Center and asked if they knew anybody that had worked with children and had practiced for a long time and could write. And I'm very pleased that David Zimmerman thought of me and suggested me. And um, so Shambhala asked me to do a writing sample, and I, I rewrote this story about the monkey king and sent it off to them, and I didn't hear from them and didn't hear from them. And one morning I get this phone call from Ivan and he's in a meeting and he says, you know, we sent you a contract. You, you haven't signed it. Are, are you interested in this project? We're not sure. It it, it was in my uh, hotmail junk folder. <laughs> oh. I immediately got a Gmail account that day. Uh, I'm glad he thought to call me and ask me because that had gone astray, you know? Huh. So, um, yeah, so I worked closely with them with the book and then, Oh, they had this fantastic um, illustrator, Sonali Zora, from. she's a Bangladeshi artist,
0: mm. and
1: she just did. Did you get a copy of the book? I asked Sambala to send you a PDF of it.
0: Oh, I, I, I don't think they did.
1: Oh, phooey. Okay. Well, I wanted you well, to you be able Well, you can
0: to- send me a PDF, good Lord. Don't you have I,
1: one? I, I can do that, yeah. Well, they have to do it, but...
0: What do you mean they have to do it?
1: Well, uh, they've they've asked me not to do that myself, but to let them do it.
0: Oh, okay.
1: For, for licensing reasons or copyright or something or
0: other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand.
1: It was after that book that they asked me to do another one, and it was kind of sweet. Ivan told me he threw all his publishing rules out the window because he told me exactly what you just said, that usually they they publish a book and see how it does before they offer another contract for another yeah. book. So I was yeah. very, very lucky about that. And then I suggested the Zen and recovery book and I was very happy that they took that on as well. Mm. So it's been very engrossing to do this. Mm. And I, um, you know, I contacted David Schneider in Germany and we, we went, went back and forth about some of the activities he had done in the Shambala community with kids,
0: oh, you know, so oh, that was neat. that was
1: fun reconnecting with him. He sent me a picture of um, you and and Richard Baker and 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 David Schneider together in Germany.
0: Yeah, Tell that was all- uh, seven and a half years ago. Uh, I went there <laughs> for uh, 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 Richard's eightieth birthday and the 20th anniversary of Johannes there, center there. And then Uh uh, David and Richard gave a workshop afterwards that I went to uh, because I was there. I was there for a month. It's the only time I've left Asia.
1: So Richard Baker's
0: 87, huh? Let's see. Uh, Yeah. 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 He's oh, doing okay. good too. He's doing good. And his group is doing good. And Nicole Bodden, uh, who's, uh, his, um, successor, uh, he has, he has a number of dharma but Nicole is his successor and she's young and she is great. I love her. And I have a terrific podcast with her.
1: Oh, wonderful. That's one. That's great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and he's very happy with that. And he's, but he's never been able to stop. He's doing, uh, you know, he's, he's doing teachings, um, all sorts of stuff all the time. And, you know, I relate to him quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed with his, uh, stamina. That's
1: amazing. Yeah. I also, uh, contacted eric larson and or maybe he tried to contact me he was he was concerned about silas hoadley uh, but we you know trying to reach silas and people have had trouble getting a hold of him but but eric told me about being in the zen center library and silas hoadley taking a book off the shelf and it was it was jodica tales and then this was on the phone then eric um Launched into one of these stories that I ended up putting in in my Zen 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 for Kids book. It's uh, Prince Five Weapons, and that made a very deep impression on him. Partly because of his closeness
0: with Silas. I can I can talk to him about Silas. I'm going to talk to Silas on uh, Friday. Oh, good. Your Friday. Uh, he's yeah. He's pretty pretty gone uh uh-huh. uh with uh, dementia but i still uh-huh. bill porter uh, uh takes him on walks and they go have i don't know what they go have coffee tea something and they uh-huh. got some and milkshakes yeah. and you got me um like every other friday i think silas is now steve tipton got hold of me and told me, uh, that he had talked to Silas and that it was really nice. Um, and, uh, you know we can still talk, but it's like, um, it's sort of surrealistic, <laughs> but it's very nice. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Steve said he'd moved into a care facility. It was like semi-hospice, but so I thought he was sort of dying, but then, uh, uh Steve said uh, that he talked to Silas through Bill, but you do this. We call Bill, uh, who only uses his cell phone for walks with Silas, so he oh, can talk funny. to him So, yeah, that's uh, funny. Yeah, um, I, I, uh, gee, I'm, I haven't been in touch with Eric forever. Uh,
1: well, the way I connected with him was I was watching a, a, a. a- online show from the marsh theater of Butoh dancing and suddenly i realized it was eric larson which is he's retired from uh uc davis and he he um loves but- buto dancing and teaches others about it and it's you can see him on youtube it's really wow it's really something to see yeah
0: wow um all right well i think i'll get hold of him all uh, right i've been out of touch with him Uh, Silas, you know, was the only person, uh, that Suzuki allowed, not, I shouldn't say allowed, that Suzuki had asked to give talks, uh, Ah. in, in, uh, the, you know, in the Buddha Hall in Zen Center. And, uh, you know, to, to Suzuki, it was sort of like, uh, you know, you have Dick and you have Silas, uh, and, um, uh, it, 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 you know, he was, you know, when he was, uh, on his way out, you know, before he died, you know, he said that to, oh, maybe Jerry Fuller. Uh, so, uh, Silas was very important to Suzuki, but, you know, once Dick became Abbott, um, uh, there really wasn't room for Silas anymore. Uh, oh, yeah. their, their ways were just too, uh, they, they didn't ha- harmonize really. As long as Suzuki was alive, there was room for both of them. But, you know, uh-huh. S- Silas moved on and some people were uh, upset about that, but I don't know. I don't think everybody needs to stay. They should move out, you know. Uh,
1: well, many people have. Now there are so many Zen centers around the country that were seeds from the San Francisco Zen Center, the, right. the branching streams, sanghas. You right.
0: Know. That's true. But I think a lot of them are going to die out. Uh, tends to, They tend to uh, be mainly older people. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, and... Um, but there, there will be things. That doesn't bother me. That's happening in Japan to a very large extent. I mean, things are changing. And I, I just read today that, uh, there, there's moves in England to, to disengage the, uh, Church of England from, uh, political, uh, and uh, educational role in the government. I mean, the, the bishops are in the, I don't know, House of Lords or House of Commons or, or probably House of Lords. I don't know. And uh, uh, there's, uh, you know, Church of England teaches in public schools. And now England is no longer a majority Christian country. Uh,
1: wow. I didn't know that. Yeah,
0: it's 47%. Everything,
1: everything I know about England I learned by watching The Crown.
0: <laughs> right. <They're> 47%. <laughs> uh Christian, like something like 38% no religion. And next is Muslim, but it's very low. It's like 6% Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, other, you know. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, things will evolve. Uh, but, you know, what that runs into with me when we talk about the future is climate change. Uh, I don't, what do you think about climate change?
1: Well, it's, it should, you know, it should be front page news every single day. And the results of it are there, even if people don't want to believe it's happening. But, you know, for me, a huge thing in the United States, and not very many people know this, twice as many people in our country kill themselves as are murdered. Uh-huh. now that that sh- that should be front page news that is an incredible public health issue and of course it's closely related to alcoholism and gun control because um, many people who kill themselves a high percentage are inebriated at the time and they kill themselves with the gun they have in their home uh-huh. you know? so so to me that there's there's so many things that people don't have the information to look at directly and really address, you know, (laughs) it's very frustrating.
0: Mm. Uh, I've uh, thought, uh, uh, of course, about, uh, you know, how dangerous it is to have a gun, uh, especially if you're subject to depression uh, or uh, have any uh, problem with impulse control. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I've never thought about, and and I've definitely thought about the – relationship between alcohol and violence which is unique and and no other yes. drug compares mm-hmm. yeah, uh, with true. that um, uh, you know I asked a, uh, a friend of mine who was uh, like a paramedic what do you call him in a ambulance you know
1: yeah a paramedic yeah yeah
0: and I said uh, what percentage of the calls you go on there for domestic violence involve alcohol and our violence and stuff. He said all of them. Oh, gosh, yeah. And I never thought, though, about a, an association between alcohol and suicide. It never occurred. Oh, to
1: yeah. Yeah, it's a very, very high correlation there. Yeah. I I looked into that when a friend of mine killed himself with a gun who was drunk, you know. And I thought, I bet, I bet this is very common. Mm. Much more common than people realize. Uh, mm. As heartbreaking as heartbreaking as it is, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. We're talking you about recovery and how yeah, you got you. into that, right? And um, all right, well let's let's go further back. You you came to Zen Center. You said in around 73?
1: 75. 75. I certainly yeah.
0: remember you. You lived across the street. Uh, forever,
1: I did. From I did. And Street. Now I've, I've been at yeah. Now I've been at three forty forever.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh right Do next li- door. Did you live in
1: three forty at some yes. point? Yes, yes, I point, yeah. yeah,
0: lived in three forty several times. Let's see. Is yeah,
1: that- you know, I grew up in the East Bay, and um, we went to church growing up. We went to lots of different kinds of churches. Finally, landing on the Quakers. Mm. And I loved sitting in silence at Quaker meeting. Mm. And then I I wasn't so excited about people standing up and saying stuff like they do at Quaker meeting. So the next logical step was Zen practice where you sit in silence. Mm. And um, my friend Debbie West grew up in Pleasant Hill as well. And she, she was getting her MFA up in Davis and I ran into her up there. We'd been best friends in fourth grade and uh she was sitting with a small group up there in Davis with I think Lou uh I think Dan Welch was part of that group and Mel Weitzman would come up. Ed Brown would come up sometimes for that group and I was living not very far from Zen Center so I started taking my riding my bike over to Zen Center to to sit Zazen. Oh and that's how I got my start. Yeah. Oh I, actually, I'd come to evening zazen, and I'd usually wear paint-spattered overalls because I was painting houses at the time. And um, I was I was I I wouldn't talk to anybody, and I was happy nobody talked to me. Uh, but I was at, you know, evening service used to be up in the Buddha Hall, and I was, I was thinking, maybe I should talk to somebody or find out more about all this. And Ed was the Tonto then, Ed Brown, and he came up to me and said, do we have an appointment to talk? I said, no, but um I would like to talk. And that that kind that was kind of a happy accident. Or maybe he was tricking me into coming aboard, I don't know, but Mm. um he told me he told me as the time I went to practice instruction with him and he said, You know, it's great that you come to evening Zazen, but if you if you were to come to morning saw, then it would change the things that you do the night before, which I thought was a very, a very wise observation.
0: Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sure happened to me.
1: Yeah. So then, then really, I was really ready for it. Um, yeah. I needed a big dramatic change in my life, and and I loved, I really took to practice, and I loved I have a theater background, and I love the kind of theater of of Zen practice—the drums and the chanting and the—you know—all of all of that ritual doesn't never turned me off at all. I always loved it.
0: Mm, Hmm. And uh, how old were you when you came?
1: I was twenty-five years old.
0: Twenty-five and seventy-five. You were born in nineteen fifty.
1: Forty December of forty nine. Yeah, I'll be seventy. I'll be seventy three in
0: this coming month. Oh, oh goodness. Um, Well, um, so what happened? You you came. So how did things progress? Here you are in seventy five. You were sitting. You said you didn't talk to people. I I never thought it. I always thought of you as sort of friendly. Uh, I
1: was very shy though. And and I was very reluctant about the there, you know there were a lot of cults around then. Uh-huh. The moonies and and if people had thrown their arms around me and invited me to dinner I would have been very suspicious.
0: Yes. So okay, there I, you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I needed a little
1: bit of space to figure out what where I was and then I really did long for a community, so that was part of what attracted me to Zen Center. Mhm. And um Yeah, I went to Tassara very soon. And I love the rigor of that life. And, you know, being uh, taking a break from American popular culture and finding myself in this little mountain village with very little electricity and no telephone to speak of. And, you know, it was it was a wonderful I feel very, very grateful that I got to have that experience and that so many of us have had that experience at Tassahara. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I met my husband, Michael Ray there and we had
0: Nova
1: and we moved back to the city and then, you know, it turned out we didn't know each other that well, just based on our Tassahara experience. You know, it, it, I think this happened to some couples at Zen center that they felt they were, it was meant to be, because they'd found themselves through practice, but maybe in the real world it doesn't um, work out so well. So mm. um, we broke up, but I I ended up working at Smith & Hawken, and I was at Smith & Hawken when everything fell apart.
0: So wait a minute, that's um, eight years later.
1: Yeah, when we came back from Zen Center, I from Tasahara I did a lot of different kinds of jobs, but I did end up working at Smith and Hawken, and I was there when the apocalypse occurred. And uh, I kept on there, though. But I, after being at Smith and Hawken for a year and a half, I, I had taught in the one-room schoolhouse at, at Tassahara when we had families come down for a year, mm-hmm. and I had a little classroom there. There was a little preschool, and then I taught the elementary school kids, just a handful. And then later, when I was looking for a school for my daughter, Nova, I was standing in the hallway of New Traditions Elementary, and I I really felt this calling. I felt this opening that I could teach kids the rest of my life and never get to the bottom of it. And uh, so I went back to school, and I got my credential, and I taught kids for 35 years, you know, third grade the whole time, pretty much.
0: Oh, really, really. Really? Oh, and I, that's great.
1: I taught at the San Francisco School, and I think your sister had something to do with that school.
0: Yes, she did. Um, the San Francisco School was started by Ginny Baker and Yvonne Rand and Renee Luby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, actually, I w- went out there with, I don't know who Yvonne took me, uh, I guess, you know, looking at the building out there by Silver Exit on the freeway? Is it still there?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, my
0: God. And it was uh, sort of Montessori. It wasn't hardcore Montessori. That's a good way to describe it. Renee Luby. I mean, Susan, my sister, knew Jenny, and she knew Yvonne better than Jenny. But she knew Renee Luby, too. I don't remember why. They were friends. And Renee got more into uh, teaching uh, and needed somebody to run the school. So they hired Susan. And Susan did that for years. Oh, okay. Joe Freitas, who'd been elected district attorney, uh, liked what Susan did so much. He was not going to be in his office. He asked her if she'd come be his office (laughs) manager. (laughs) (laughs) So she got into doing that, and she ran uh, some pretty big legal firms in San Francisco and retired just a few years ago. Uh, Oh, gee. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was neat. I loved that school. I, I had little contact with it because of all that. And you taught well, there? I, you taught there? At S- I taught
1: I taught there. I taught um, – my first year teaching was at Alvarado Elementary Public School. And then I was actually invited to come interview at the San Francisco School. And they liked me, and I liked them. And that was a great place for me to be and a great place for my daughter to go to school. Mm-hmm. And it was a very progressive school. You know, I was given so much freedom to develop my own curriculum and teach the things I love to teach and do it in the way I love to do it. And not, not, boy, teaching has changed a lot. Um, and that was a real kind of an oasis of elementary education. I'm very lucky that that's where I spent my life teaching kids.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you about something. Um, there's a uh, a lot of controversy in America now because of uh the uh wokeness and education. You know what I'm talking about i do tell tell me about that. Can you explain what it is what's happening um I know people that are really upset about uh people who are like what? really into it and uh, what, what are they? It,
1: what is? What are they upset about?
0: Oh, uh, bringing up topics around sexuality to, to kids when they feel they're too young, and uh, uh, there, there's people who feel like, uh, well, like uh, Kelly, you know, my son Kelly, who you had dinner with, he said yeah. up in Spokane he finds so many of the the uh, kids uh of uh you know progressive people are all disturbed wondering what sex they are and you know th- thinking about gender issues and uh that sort of thing uh uh-huh and uh you know he said uh you know the more conservative people he knows uh who aren't into that uh uh and uh th- th- their kids tend tend to be more You know, and the Christian kids, you know, tend to be more, uh, just like normal kids and sort of, uh, you know, nice to relate to. Don't, don't seem to be, uh, all, uh, disturbed and stuff. Uh, and I, one thing I said to him then was, um, uh, yeah, people who have all the answers, uh, tend to, you know, be more, uh, more satisfied with everything right <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah and and um i told him i took a, a, a very powerful psychic i knew that i, I set up a workshop at green gulf with back in the mm, mm, 80 85 i think uh and uh you know it, i'd known him since since i'd met suzuki he was an old guy and and you know, I just went walking around with him and I introduced him to a couple of people but maybe we were walking we walked down the fields and he said uh, these people here they're they're uh, the people they're they're on a good path. I said, uh, "Why do you say that?" He said because they're disturbed. <laughs> uh, he said, uh, you know, like you take somebody that grew up uh being a fundamentalist uh Muslim, Christian, into anything—they're not disturbed. They know, you know.
1: Yeah, they know all. They know all the
0: answers. So anyway, I, I wonder. Uh, you see, where I live in Bali, that we don't have that sort of problem. People are pretty. They know who they are. They know what they're. You know. Uh, I don't know. Everything's sort of peaceful and copacetic. And that's true with the Muslims and the Hindus. Uh, That
1: sounds lovely. Uh, There's so much discord in our country and so much demonizing of the other. I think this controversy over wokeness is probably much ado about nothing. Um, I don't know what the appropriate age is to suggest to kids that they might want to change their pronouns, but... uh, I don't think that has to happen very young. You know, I think that that kind of identity issue probably comes up a little bit later in your life. Yeah. Um,
0: But um, I wouldn't suggest to anybody they ought to think about anything. I would tell them, uh, you know what my mother did with me, I think was great. My father died when I was 11. My mother made it very clear to me that there are gay people in the world and that that's normal. So, uh-huh. uh, it didn't have anything to do with me. It's, and I was around, uh, uh, gay people, uh, gay men was much more obvious, uh, because she was involved with the arts and, uh, the opera and stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, I, the, 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 the guy who ran the local theater, he had, he and four other men lived next door to my grandmother, and I was just—I don't know—I was used to that. And, uh, but I—I um, th- I think letting people know that there's various, various, uh, different types of people, you know, and all that's okay.
1: I think that's a very
0: good message, you know. Yeah. But uh, you say it's much to do about nothing. I tend to think that. I mean, uh,
1: well, what I what I mean by that is now, D- Nick, Rick Desantis, you know, is very vocal about we're not woke in, uh, in. Uh, Florida. Yeah, he's trying to make we're it illegal.
0: He, he tried to which make is, it illegal to is, talk about
1: it. <laughs> it's it's like saying we're we're not in favor of opening our eyes and seeing things in the world. Being woke just means being aware and being sensitive and being open to difference and diversity. And so it, to me, it's, it's quite ridiculous when somebody very vocally comes out against that. Uh, maybe you can go too far with some of that kind of progressive education. And I don't know. I, I certainly try to have my classroom be an open place where, you know, at the San Francisco school, there were many gay families there because uh, the school was very open to that. and if somebody used gay as a pejorative in my class, I would stop everything and say, someone just used that word like it's an insult, but raise your hand if you love somebody who's gay. Yeah. You know, and that that would be, as, it was as simple as that,
0: you know. Yeah. Um, that was true in my so, house, too. Anybody yeah. that said, any, any you couldn't say anything homophobic or racist. Uh that's terrific. You grew up in Texas, right? Yeah. Nobody, nobody I knew said racist things. Anyway, I, mm-hmm. I, I knew plenty of other people who did, but mainly that wasn't the problem. Uh, like we didn't use the, no, nobody I knew used the N word. I knew, I knew kids in other schools that did my, but my old public high school, we'd never hear that. But, uh, you know, sort of like homophobic stuff uh, was much more common. And mother would let us cuss. We could drink alcohol when we are teenagers. We could <laughs> do anything we wanted. If somebody said, "Oh, you know, he's a queer," or something like that, uh, she'd be right in the room saying, "Don't you talk like that? You know, you can't." Oh, let-. that's great! Right? But well, she was woke. <laughs> yeah, she was. She, but she was tolerant and open. Yeah.
1: Well, that do you think that that? How did you come to Buddhist practice?
0: No, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> We're talking about you and, I, and other no, subjects
1: because I, I, I wondered if your mother, you know being that open-minded was had any influence on you and my father in terms more. Of your spiritual path yeah
0: my my father was the guru of our family uh, oh sort of uh, new thought Christianity. Uh, which was, you know, out of Emerson and Thoreau and, uh, like, Church of Religious Science uh, and Christian Science, uh, all that mind-only, I call it mind-only Christianity. Uh, ah. And, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I just wonder what's happening there. Oh, you know, I have a friend here, he's, he's, uh, but, He's, you know, I just tell him that you know he's brainwashed by fa- fascist propaganda. Uh, I can always, <laughs> always know what what the latest outrage of the day on Fox News is by what he's concerned about.
1: Oh and, boy!
0: And he was really into their, their, their gay pride has gone too far. He said, uh, "You know, they used to be they it used to be more, you know, more low key." And I said yeah, that's what they used to say about black people in the South. I said, yeah, but they're getting uppity now. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and he'd say, uh, yeah, these gay pride parades, he said, they're grooming children to be. I said, you, you know, I, he said, you, you shouldn't take five-year-olds and see people twerking their butts. And I said, I've taken my five-year-olds to gay parades. We love them. They're great. They're all, you know, People are having fun. There's music. There's food. I said, you know who I wouldn't want a five year old to be around is you. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I said, man, man, you're you're letting all this this uh, you know distortion and everything you know uh, take over your mind. Well, anyway, um, is this
1: an American in Bali that you're talking yes, about?
0: Yes, yes, only oh. only an American. Uh Maybe some (laughs) Europeans, but much more. This is an American thing. Uh, Yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, I didn't want to go on too long about that, but I thought you might have run into some of that. uh, It's controversial in America.
1: Hmm. Oh, boy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh. So, um, all right. Now... um, so you, you 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 were at Zen Center in '75. What's did you did you do stuff for Zen Center before you started teaching, or?
1: Yeah, I um, when I came back from Tassahara, I worked in the front office for a while. I worked at the Tassahara Bread Bakery. I worked at Greens, um, but I, you know, when I when I real life, Michael went off to Taiwan. I had a child to support. So I, I realized I needed to make my own way financially. Um, but now, you know, my relationship with Zen Center is, is, um, I co-founded the Sangha and Recovery Program, which brought a lot of people to Zen Center. I hear. Who, yeah, Yeah. Who wanted to know more about Buddhism from a recovery point of view. That was a a, a really lovely thing that opened the door for for people who might have been shy about coming in any other way, and and I teach uh, classes and lead retreats, not just at Zen Center, but at other um, sanghas in the oh, that's Northern great. California. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I have a. There's a group in Oakland at Lennox House. I'm the teacher there, and that's a Buddhism and Recovery group. So oh, that's that's my passion, you know to make Buddhism available to people who are, who are struggling with addiction. So,
0: um, Yeah, you should talk to uh, Katrinka, my wife. She's always uh, running little groups here. I mean, they're everywhere in the world, you know. Um,
1: well, that's good, yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, we, I saw a documentary about Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. And uh, somebody asked him, what, what do you think is the greatest contribution America has made to the world? And Kurt Vonnegut said, "Well, I would have to say, as a jazz lover, I would say jazz, but I would have to say it's actually Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, which which was the greatest social movement of the twentieth century, in uh, his opinion.
0: Yeah, um, I
1: was I was very touched by that.
0: I didn't know that. I love Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, um, Nils Holm, you remember Nils who?" Yes.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, departed this earthly realm a decade ago. Uh, was like, I was very, very, very close with always and, and really miss him. Anyway, uh, he, he said, uh, uh, the 12 step is the, the great American religion. That's, you know, at, the religions that came out of America are the big ones, the Seventh day Adventist, Mormon, uh, Jehovah's Witness, uh, New Thought Christianity, like Christian Science and those. But he said 12 step was the great American religion. I thought that was really interesting. It's hard to get, um, people in, in, uh, Asia in general. Asian culture is a very different one from another. But like, say, here, there's a stigma. Ah, well, you know, like they used to be in America or, you know, getting therapy in America. Oh, you're crazy. We shouldn't have you working here. Uh, there's a stigma to it. So there's, we, you know, I'm, I've been around some, uh, you know, organization which is making, uh, AA and a Al Anon center available to local people and treatment, uh, for free or whatever, but uh, you know, it, it, it's hard for them to feel that it's okay.
1: Well, I, I hope that that breaks down in Asia. That that be, it that it becomes more acceptable for people to seek help when they need it.
0: Yeah, I mean, alcohol is a big problem everywhere, and it's hit It's hidden, and
1: it's such a bone It's such a lonely, such a lonely disease. In it. It yeah. has such repercussions on family, and you know. So I, I, I would hope that Asia would open up to that. But I, I know that there, there are recovery, different forms of recovery all over the world, which is yeah, which is a good a good sign for the future, I think. Yeah.
0: Um, hey, I wanted to say one thing. Michael Wright was in Taiwan in 1986, right?
1: That sounds right. Yeah.
0: I saw him there.
1: You did yeah, I went
0: to visit Elon.
1: oh wow,
0: <laughs> and i it just barely I just barely pulled that memory out. it's very vague uh
1: yeah he went there to he went there to study Qigong, oh
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah, we saw him, yeah, I was there for three weeks
1: oh i will have to mention that to him that he remembered that, yeah,
0: yeah, well, you worked for Smith and Hawk and that's interesting. And uh, Lou Richmond was there.
1: Yep, he was.
0: Yeah, I've I've heard various Smith and Hawkins stories. Uh <laughs> from others too. <laughs> Elon's sister worked there for years. Uh, well, I survived
1: Smith and Hawkins. And-
0: well, is there anything we haven't touched on?
1: Well, I would just like to say that um I hope people will keep an eye out for this this upcoming book that's coming out on December and it's available at Shambhala. But You've got to say the name
0: of the book. Never say book. You say the name of the book.
1: Let me backtrack a little bit. Yeah, My book, Buddha Stories for Kids, yeah. Stories of friendship, Kindness, Friendship and Forgiveness is coming out on December 6th, but it's available for pre-order right now. And uh, if you Google it, it's available in all kinds of places. So I'm excited about it and I I hope a lot of people read it and read it to their kids. And and I think for some kids, it might be their first introduction to Buddhism, you know?
0: Yeah, Buddhist Stories for Kids. Is that right? Am I saying it right? Buddhist
1: Stories for Kids by Laura Burgess with one S.
0: Oh, right, right. Oh, God. When we put out, uh, uh, Duke Press put out uh, uh, a, a brief <laughs> history of Tassahara, one of the... Uh, changes we had to make was to take the one of the S's off your name. Well
1: David today David, today I got the proofs for my Zen and recovery book and I'm supposed to look over it and make sure it's all alright. I turned to the title page and my name is spelled wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Two S's. So um I'm still battling that. In fact it took Zen Center years to spell my name right. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um and I'm such a fanatic on Checking everything, Uh, but well, that's good.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, I find (laughs) assumptions. I just find it all the time. It's just hard to, you know, when you when you're dealing with something, the the approach should have is what could be wrong, what could go wrong. (laughs) Not everything. The 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 attitude. uh, Oh, it's all cool. Everything's good. That is bad. That that that. That's, uh, you do not want that attitude. You want want to be, what could be wrong about this? What could be better? But mainly the what could be wrong, what could go wrong. Uh, And then what I find, I try as hard as I can later. I find I had assumptions that I hadn't really looked at, you know.
1: Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, that is spoken like a true Buddhist. What could possibly go wrong?
0: <laughs> yeah, there's no end to it. There's no end to it. Uh, One continuous mistake. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, and then your your next two books are coming out when? And, and remind me of those names.
1: Okay, Zen for Kids, 50-plus uh, Activities and Stories to Shine, Loving Kindness in the World by Shambhala. That's coming out in the spring. And then in their, on their summer list will be the Zen Way of Recovery, an illuminated path out of the darkness of addiction, also published by Shambhala. My so, God. Uh, three really books. coming out one after another.
0: Uh, you know, well, it's really hard to get published these days. This is including well, people that I know people that have published books and are well known. They're, they're you know uh, they're having to self-publish and. Uh, uh Shambala is is apparently, you know, the publishing world is is in trouble, but I think in the publishing world, one of the ones that is doing well is Shambala.
1: I think they are, and I think COVID was a big boost to children's books. Mm-hmm. People wanted to read books for their kids, and you know, it was a big, a big, a big uh, surge of. Ivan said, "Yeah, they're doing. They're doing fine. So mm. I'm happy to be aboard the Shambala
0: boat." Yeah, I don't know Ivan. I I know Sarah, uh-huh. his sister, but I don't yeah. know her well. You know, Sam got us together with his mother and her and me. I, I like Sam's Sam's mother. Right. Congratulations on doing. A, Having three books coming out, on continuing to uh, teach um, recovery and Buddhism, and uh, uh, yeah, it's all very impressive. Good for you. And um,
1: well, thanks, David, and I I really appreciate your interest in the books and the chance to talk about this and many other topics that we covered tonight. Yeah, <laughs> it was fun. Talk- it was really fun talking to you. Today. Yeah,
0: good talking to you too. And, uh, and
1: the, the, way, the way that you, you keep uh, our memories of Suzuki Roshi alive and and the way that you keep our widespread Zen Center community connected, you know, all over the world is really f- phenomenal. So thank you for that.
0: Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, I enjoy doing that. And uh, why don't you read one of your stories from… Uh, Oh, remind me of the name of the book.
1: Buddhist Stories for Kids.
0: Buddhist Stories for Kids. Good. By Laura Burgess. All right.
1: Yeah. David, I thought this first story would be a good one because uh, I think it's a good example of how I worked with these Jataka tales. This was just a very kind of sketchy story about a male teacher and his male students. And uh, there's a message in the story So to make it more accessible to kids, I transformed it into a story about a mother monkey and her children, uh, but still conveying the same message of the original story. So uh, yeah, so it's called The Monkeys and the Bodhi Tree. Long ago in another place in time, there lived a wise monkey mother. She and her many children made their home in the branches of the Bodhi Tree, where many years later, the Buddha would take his seat "'and awaken to the truths of this life. "'This wise monkey had many children. "'She couldn't say how many "'because they would never sit still "'long enough for her to count them. Hmm. "'One day, as they played in the great tree, "'swinging from branch to branch "'among the heart-shaped leaves, "'she decided it was time to teach them a lesson. "'My children,' she called to them, "'I am not getting any younger, and neither are you. "'It is time I told you about the ways of the world.' so that you can start to take care of your old mother and to take care of yourselves when the time comes. The young, mother, the young monkeys turn their little faces to listen to her. Let me ask you something, my children. Why should we work so hard to gather fruit from the trees of the forest? Our neighbors get up at dawn to gather fruit. Why don't we sleep a little later and gather our fruit from them? I have seen humans take things from one another, All you need to do is hide behind a tree when you see another monkey coming with his arms full of fruit. Jump out from behind the tree, take him by surprise, and bring the fruit back here to share with your family. But mother, what if we get caught, asked one of the older children. Just be sure to do it when no one is looking, replied their mother. And wear a mask so you won't be recognized. This sounded like great fun a new adventure for the mischievous monkeys. And right away, they scampered down to the ground and scattered into the forest to gather broad leaves to make masks that would cover their faces. Only one little monkey, the youngest, stayed behind. What is it, my child? Why not scurry off with your brothers and sisters and do as I've asked you to do? Mother, you know that I love you and trust you. You have done so much for me that I would do anything you ask. But I don't understand what you say. What is it you don't understand, my little one? You told us that we should steal fruit from our neighbors when no one is looking. But that is impossible, he said. His mother's heart stirred a little. Why is it impossible? Because no matter what I do, even if no one else is around to see me, I can see me. The mother tilted her head back and laughed gathering her youngest child into her arms. You alone have understood my lesson. The monkey mother, who would one day be reborn as the Buddha, called all her other children, and they sat beneath the Bodhi tree as she shared this story with them. They looked at one another sheepishly, and one by one, patted their young brother on the back. The Bodhi tree smiled down upon the monkey family as the mother told her children, Always try to do the right thing, even when no one else is watching. You are always watching. So that is Monkeys in the Bodhi Tree.
0: Ooh, that's good. (laughs) Is there going to be an audiobook? Of course there will be.
1: There is an audiobook, and it's available now, read by yours truly, Laura Burgess.
0: Oh, good. That's what I wanted to know. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, Shambhala invited me to do that, and uh, I had a lot of fun. That, that was really a great experience in a little sound studio here in San Francisco. Where? Well, it's a guy named Andrew Roth over on Petrero Hill, and he has a sound studio right in the basement of his house. Yeah. Um, he does all kinds of things, TV shows, movies, and books. Mm-hmm. So we, we had a good rapport, and it was it was really fun to do that. And I, I like this story because I think it's a very accessible way to teach ethics to kids in a kind of lighthearted way. Yeah. Uh, you know, you might you might say that the precepts are embedded in there and that maybe doing the right thing is, is doing the right thing even when no one else is looking,
0: you know. Right. That's great. Very good. Well, Where's,
1: thanks, David. I'm glad he liked it. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add?
1: No, I, I just want to. Uh, share this story with folks so they get an idea of what it's all about. And, of course, it really comes to life with these really magical illustrations uh, by Sonali Zora. So thanks for your interest in the book, and I I hope people will get a hold of it. I humbly think it's for all ages, not just kids.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, good idea. (laughs) Um, I'll order a copy for... My two young granddaughters. I have a baby what? granddaughter and a 12-year-old or something granddaughter. Uh, but Wonderful. But with Katrinka's son, there's a four- or five-year-old. And with uh, my son, Clay, there's a four-year-old. So.
1: Oh, yeah. That's great.
0: I'll do that. Well,
1: you know, my school has – the school where I used to teach this week, because the book came out on Tuesday – They've really done a lot to make get the word out about the book, and I have to say that it just really tickles me because I taught kids for 35 years to think that some of my former students now are old enough to have kids of their own, and to think of my former students reading these stories to their children is uh, really a wonderful feeling. Mm. Mm. So, David, thank you for, for your interest in the book, and I, I uh, look forward to Hearing your our podcast,
0: yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay,
1: thanks, David. Yeah, that's great. Take care. (laughs) Okay, take care.
0: Thanks a lot, Laura Burgess. That was very enjoyable. Uh, And you know, I didn't mention your other two books that are coming out up front, but um, uh, we'll. uh, We'll get to them later when they come out. Okay. This has been a cute Audio podcast. I'm DC Poopah of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives. Coming to you from Sleepy Sonora with Doggett Bandita, cuchita guest Doggett Bumbita, and dear lovely Contrinket. And we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening.